Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town Like a cancer that's silently spreading There's an unspoken fear We're on our way down We must take America back Wow. Welcome back, everyone, to the Rebel and the Renegade Roundtable here on Republic Broadcasting Network. Folks, go to republicbroadcastingnetwork.org and hit that donate button. Or if you want to get in and maybe perhaps find uh, win yourself a beautiful St. Andrew's Cross quilt. I quit using the phrase confederate battle flag because the marxists in this country want that flag disposed of because it is a christian flag that is exactly why didn't they go after the bonnie blue why didn't they go after the first three but anyway i mentioned to everyone and i highly recommend this book and again it was written by yankees it was written by three investigative reporters in connecticut and they detail how much the cotton meant to the textile mills, especially in Massachusetts, and how many textile mills created towns around them. And it all came from the cotton that was being produced by the slaves in the South, and they didn't care. So, But here, I want to run a few quotes for you, and then I'll jump to you, gentlemen, uh, uh, from that book. Number one, quote, slavery... Uh, Mm, first day my new lips, I'm sorry. Slavery is rarely taught in schools, and our understanding of its scope is barely rudimentary. The mainstream of America thought still does not contain a shared body of information on slavery, even though the facts about American enslavement are widely available. Several years after that first spring, when I began to speak publicly about the book that had come forward from a newspaper project on slavery in the North, I was asked the same question over and over by audiences all around this country. And their question was, why didn't we know about this? Unquote. Another quote. Of the estimated 12.5 million Africans sold into slavery in the Americans, in the Americas, more than half were sold between 1701 and 1800. And of that 52.4%, tens of thousands more were sold during the second half of the 18th century than during the first. Another quote. In the course of researching, I learned that colonial Connecticut had been a major provisioner of the British West Indies plantations where slaves were growing and processing sugar in a monoculture that yielded huge profits to the bankers of England. Connecticut-grown onions, potatoes, pigs, and cows were considered the best of the best on the Caribbean's English plantations, and the sturdy white oak we grew also was highly sought after. The horses raised on farms in eastern Connecticut were shipped to the Caribbean in the tens. One last one for you folks. Quote, New England slavery and their ships did not become part of the history of the American slavery, though they were should have been its earliest chapters. These men would be described in their obituaries as West Indies merchants and sea commanders. Now, again, folks, the title of the book is Complicity, How the North 
profited, prolonged, and promoted slavery. Your thoughts uh, on that, uh, Stephen? Yeah, I, I was thinking that I got this <clears throat> little book that says give this book to a Yankee, and I wonder if it was mentioned in there the other day when I was in there talking about the, the actual truth. And, yeah, that that makes a fair kind of thought criminal, too. I was thinking, you know, putting their actual words and documents, you know, don't confuse people with the facts is a lot of things that not I get people say, don't confuse me with all these facts. You know, they just that that's that's kind of what that made me think of. But putting people's own words in front of them oftentimes is is a good way to, uh, you know, to prove your point. Well, let's not forget that, as I said before, all of Farah Khan's work in those uh, there's actually five books, uh, four. And then there's an explanatory one that comes with the set. But in that, you know. All, as I said before, all he listed were official Jewish documents, and yet after Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam issues this book, they're called anti-Semites. So you're an anti-Semite if you yeah. use their own information. Yes, sir. Exactly. Yes, sir. Yeah. Your thoughts, uh, please, Richard? Well, uh, it's really just conveying more uh, this time around as well. I. I mean, well, again, this this gentleman brought up the Missouri Compromise saying uh, if slavery was on its way out, why did they insist on the Missouri Compromise? And Texas was about to join the Union as a slave state. But but he's saying that the uh, that the Missouri Compromise would have extended slavery out. Is, 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 is that right? Uh, and he's saying in the Confederate Constitution, it basically would have permanently made slavery legal or if you had a slave in a slave state and you move to a free state you can keep your slaves so well, that's why but uh so i don't know you know these are just the points that um you know that richard that, 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 that these people and that, and that impression they still have um seem to embody richard why can't the people grasp the simple fact of the corwin amendment when lincoln comes into office he puts together the corwin amendment helps to put it together, which would have made slavery legal in perpetuity and outside of the reach of Congress. How can anyone say, oh, he fought the war to defeat slavery? He wanted to make slavery perpetual. Why? I can't understand. What is there a comprehension factor with these people that they well, can't understand? Well, even Scorpio mentioning uh, the cotton uh, technology, cotton processing technology, didn't seem to be uh, uh, influential. I mean, I don't know. This gentleman also said, I don't see any evidence that slavery was on its way out at all. So I don't know. Maybe some people, there's just no getting through to them, or I don't know. But Well, you know, here's the thing my grandpa told me. Boy, it's real hard to teach a rock to sing. And that is the analogy I make with these people. Uh, you know, and I had a lady in a public debate in Sacramento, California in the year of 1999. A PhD, we had a debate, and this was over gun control. And I'll never forget what she said, because every time she would bring up uh, about gun control, I would bring up actual factual evidence. And eventually she got so frustrated at me in uh, this place, the old Sacramento. She got so upset at me. Here was what she said. 
I don't care how many facts you have, you're not changing my mind. Well, yeah, no, that's just like the Nuremberg trials, right? That's yes. what was pointed out then. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, there's a certain uh, optic uh, and, and uh, agenda to drive home. Uh, so, you know, a certain narrative that needs to be solidified. But, well, okay, here was a question I might ask on this person's behalf. Uh, so, are you you mentioned how later um, that it, with the Dred Scott 1857 decision uh, that the Missouri Compromise uh, was determined, uh, uh, what, unlawful? Um, Unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. Okay. Uh, but, well, were there some, I can only guess, largely Jewish, uh, slave-owning uh, southern land landowners who wanted to perpetuate slavery in the South and, and who were uh, trying to help draft the, uh, you know, influence the drafting of the Missouri Compromise? I mean, you know, regardless of what happened later with it being null and void on the constitutional basis, I mean— for this to have been pushed, were there some slave owners in the South who, who wanted to extend slavery to to have uh, for this Missouri Compromise to have existed? Uh, of course, and here's the thing, and I believe, and I've done uh, substacks on this, gentlemen. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, this was so the Dred Scott decision in a, in and of itself, and along with the you know Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was totally fiction, but. So many people in the North thought it was true uh, about uh, Simon Legree and uh, the poor, all of this other stuff. They thought it was actually true, and it wasn't. It was totally fiction. And then, you know, there's so many other things that we look at in the run-up. This was a planned event. The Civil War was a planned event, and it was planned by the bankers. I don't think there's any doubt about it because the thing that doesn't make sense, folks – is the fact that the uh, Dred Scott, his owner, actually took him to Wisconsin. He was in the military. He took Dred Scott and his uh, family. Well, at that time, Dred, Dred Scott actually got married in Wisconsin. And he, But his owner took him to Wisconsin. Under the Missouri Compromise, that made uh, him a free man. So... When he gets back to Missouri, eventually, after his owner actually dies, Wade's—I mean, uh, Dred Scott—then sues for his freedom. The Missouri courts gave him his freedom. They said, "Yes, it's true." And after eleven years of going through the Supreme, going through the courts, finally in 1857, the uh, Supreme Court says slavery is legal. So here's, you know, the the fantastic point. Who paid for that trial? Dred Scott didn't have the money to pay lawyers for 11 years, did he? And then the the absolute absurdity of the whole thing is after the Supreme Court ruled that slavery was constitutional and Dred Scott was a slave, the person who had fought this through the courts for 11 years, right after the decision, said, okay, you're free, go ahead. Why would you fight a battle for 11 years in the court and then turn loose the guy that uh, you claim to be your slave? None of this makes sense. Sounds your thoughts, like gentlemen? To me. <laughs> it does. Sounds like a perfect psyop, doesn't it? 
Yes, it does. It sounded exactly like that's why it was set up. And then for the Supreme Court, the only way they could claim that Dred Scott was still a slave was to say that the uh, that the Missouri Compromise was unconstitutional. That's the only way they could do it. So if you want to blame slavery on anybody, why don't you blame it on the Supreme Court in 1857? Why do you blame it on the South? If the Supreme Court would have been in 1857 would have said, okay, yes, slavery is immoral, it's wrong, and therefore it is unconstitutional. Would have stopped the whole war. Well, to, to zoom out a bit, you know, I mean, a lot of people will uh, see things in a way that, that fits, you know, their, their predetermined conclusions uh, in a lot of cases, frankly. I mean... I just know that 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 this uh, a colleague of ours from RBN. I mean, his his perception of people bringing up Civil War era revisionism is that it it has a divide and conquer quality. He feels uh, that 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 Northerners uh, are 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 going to be like you know are at odds with Southerners over it. White uh, people are going to be divided over it. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see the federalist level as ever be, being a benefit to the people uh, whatsoever at any point. And so I don't see what what is that the alternative? Like if Northerners don't agree with Southerners, that they take the <laughs> the federalist uh, perspective. I mean, like it seems like I heard some people on my show taking um, when we tried to explain things to them. I, I because I certainly wouldn't do that. Uh, so you can't have too much faith, and certainly in the Federalist position in the founding documents, is I find far more interest in myself. Well, but, but Richard, I mean, yeah, if I could deconstruct this from a different angle, possibly, yeah, let's just take slavery out of it for a minute. There's no question that the South wanted to break away from the federal government. That's undeniable. And so, what's the biggest cause of our problems today in this country? It's the federal government. So. To dismiss revisionism as saying it's a divide and conquer. No, we're trying to get to the bottom of the root issue of the problem we face, which is this federal government. And if you take slavery out of the equation, I think it's undeniable that slavery was on its way out. Uh, the cotton gin lowered the amount of labor needed, and it lowered the cost of labor. And keeping slaves is becoming more expensive and not worth it. And, and you combine that with the idea of the, the ideas enter into the zeitgeist of a nation or a people that are unstoppable. And one of them was the idea that slavery was essentially immoral. There was no stopping that. The idea that slavery was going to be around for 100 years after the Civil War in its current form is, is, is laughable. It's not even possible. So we know the South was breaking away from the federal government. That is our biggest issue we face. And I think that alone should tell people that it's worth looking into the Civil War uh, as, as the real causes and what was really going on. Well, great point, Dave. Absolutely. And see, the thing that troubles me is these folks who have a Marxist education, 10th plank of the Communist Manifesto. Now, do you think that the Marxists are going to tell you the truth about what happened during the war? Do you think anybody's ever been taught the truth in the 10th plank of a Communist Manifesto school? Do you, why why would you even think for a minute that what you were taught was the truth? And here's one of the things that really bothers me, and that was about Lincoln. Lincoln himself instructed, before he actually took office, instructed 
his Secretary of State, upcoming Secretary of State, William Seward, to suggest three resolutions, the import of which was identical with that of the Corwin Amendment, to the Committee of 13 in the U.S. Senate without indicating they issued from Springfield. That is from Lincoln himself. Lincoln prepared the Corwin Amendment, which would have made slavery perpetual. Even a leftist, uh, I forgot what uh, her title was, but Doris Kearns has a book called, Doris Kearns Goodwin, I'm sorry, has a book called Team of Rivals. And she reveals this in there, and she's a Lincoln supporter. And she says that he was the author of the Corwin Amendment. Now, if you're the incoming president and you're against slavery, why would you introduce an amendment to make it perpetual? And in his uh, inaugural, first inaugural address, he said, I will not interfere with the institution of slavery in the states where it exists because I do not think I have the constitutional right to do so. So in his inaugural address, why didn't he say, I'm going to do everything I can to stop slavery in this country? It, You know, I... The things are so overwhelming. And then if we jump back to the Constitutional Convention and look at the huge discussion between Luther Martin and the others about slavery. And he was booed. And they yelled at him and and people wanted him to stop talking because he said, you know, that the the good Lord looks at the black man and the white man with the same eyes. And he did not want slavery to be included in the Constitution. So why did they put it in? Because it was commerce. People were going to make millions of dollars. People, if you really think that morals and ethics have anything to do with slavery, let me take you to wars that are started on lies. Now, do you really think they care about anybody? And then the federal government, if you think this government ever cared about black people, let me mention one thing, the Tuskegee experiment. Now, go figure it out. Did they take white people and inject them with syphilis? No, they took blacks. Why? It, it, you know, the, the preponderance of evidence is so overwhelming and when people still keep blubbering on about slavery it just it's beyond my comprehension help me out here dave well yeah uh there is so much evidence mike um uh and it's important too just to look at the root cause of the civil war beyond slavery which is obviously the federal government and that's the problem we face today. So I, I think these are all very, very relevant topics, and it's not about divide and conquer. It's trying to get to the bottom of the truth. And anyone that thinks the federal government is, is reformable at this point is kidding themselves. It's not possible because we, on top of the visible federal government, we also have an invisible power structure, uh, the so-called deep state uh, that is in operation as well. So it's not reformable, and... Um, I think we need to look at the root cause and why why did the South want to break away? And I think it's a lot more complex than just one simple issue, uh, which is, of course, slavery. Well, Dave, uh, great point. And let me throw one thing in here, and then I want to get Stephen and uh, John, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Richard, more involved. But let's look at what Lincoln said in his first inaugural address. Real simple. He said, you know, I'm not going to 
trouble your slaves. I'm, and he had introduced an amendment to make it perpetual. But what did he say in his first inaugural address? I will do whatever is necessary to collect the tariff. And what was Fort Sumter? A tariff collection point. Well, my grandpa also told me, he said, boy, he said, there's a whole lot of people stupid. And the real problem in this country is they're too damn proud of it. Uh, help me out here, uh, Stephen. I'd point out what the devil's punch bowl, too, and, and the oh, contraband camps with how this gov- federal government cared about the black people down here that they oh, freed. Yeah. You know, that just it was a genocide. That's what it was, okay? They genocided the blacks and as many of the Southerners as they could and took the stuff. I mean, that's what happened. And we didn't, we don't need uh, the uh, uh, camps turned into theme parks and a thousand museums to remember it. My blood remembers it. Sherman was trying to genocide us. Well, absolutely. I mean, there, and he said so. He said so openly. His goal was not to defeat the South. His goal was to eliminate the Southern people. He made it in a statement and in a letter to his wife. And he also said it to many of the people under his command. And how many, I tell you, this is a good one. I've got a book now that I found that a lady sent to me who happens to be a member of uh, one historical society in the South. And she sent me a book that absolutely goes into the detail about the rapes of black women in the South when uh, these wonderful Union soldiers came through, including, of course, the rape of Athens, Alabama, where they actually were raping women. This one happened to be white. They gang-raped a woman. The Union Army gang-raped a woman in the middle of the road. She was pregnant. She miscarried and died. And then the Turchin was court-martialed for that. And then Lincoln, after the court-martial, promoted him from colonel to general and put him back in the army. What does that tell you about his morals? Oh, or lack thereof. And if Mike, if I could add one other thing, too. Please do. Uh, you know, the a lot can be said or found, a lot of evidence can be found simply by the name, the Confederacy, going back to the Articles of Confederation, the original founding document of the country, and the idea that these states, the southern states, were going to be in a bond willingly, uh, not by force, but by choice of each state. Uh, each state was a sovereign, and they were associating willingly, not by the barrel of a gun. And I think that's that, that should be considered in, in all this evidence as well, the simple name. Yes, very much so. Very good point. And uh, uh, your thoughts, uh, please, Richard? Uh, you know that, those stories are ridiculous. I, I I saw the film Glory with Matthew Broderick and Denzel Washington, and clearly uh, those uh, Northern uh, Black uh, Union troops were the finest, uh, upstanding gentlemen. They wouldn't rape a soul. So you know you, I, I believe Hollywood, like uh, Jewish Hollywood. Uh, so I, I I can't see how that could possibly have any truth to it whatsoever. But no, seriously. I, I, I mean, as as far as, okay, if at least some slave owners in the South wanted slavery to continue, 
then some people sure. out there are going to some people out there it seems are going to therefore continue to just uh, feel that yeah you know uh, it was about slavery that they that they wanted, that some wanted to continue and and that's all that they need to keep thinking that you know I mean because that's that's all I keep getting from from um, you know I don't know you know uh, just some of the input from some like like the one gentleman I was talking about. Uh, I mean, you know, he was saying uh, Texas wanted to enter the Union as a slave state. Uh, Texas caused a lot of problems. Slavery was written into the Confederate Constitution. So I don't know what did the did some of these Southern slave owners not realize uh, the significance of like the cotton gin, uh, for example, the technology where it was inevitable slavery slavery would be on its way out, and and they they it just didn't occur to some people, or even the more moral uh, issue, it, it maybe occurred to some of the population, but not all. And so, I mean, yeah, if there was at least a percentage of the South that wanted to keep slavery going, that's all some people need if they already, you know, want, want to have a certain uh, stance on things. Uh, well, Richard, so. Richard, unfortunately, the people who are blind in one eye do not realize that the people of the North who were profiting from slavery wanted to keep it going just as much as the people in the South. You think those uh, cotton mills... And uh, Connecticut wanted a war where they couldn't get cotton from the South. It, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But here's one thing very quickly before we get to break. Lincoln justified the military invasion of his own country and the mass killing of fellow American citizens by the hundreds of thousands with a theory that the people of the free and independent states, as they are called in the Declaration of Independence, were not sovereign. That the Union, which is to say the federal government, was the only sovereign. That the federal government was therefore supreme and that the Union was not voluntary and that no state had a right to secede from it. So there you go. You, it hit David's point right between the eyes. This was about a totalitarian Marxist government that Lincoln intended to impose on the American public, all of them. Mike, and, that is such a great uh, synopsis right there. That's very powerful, and it's that is a great summary of what was really going on, and it really blows away all these other arguments and minutiae right there. Well, thank you, Dave. Uh, your thoughts, uh, Stephen? There he is. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I was looking in this 1928 book about the cotton gin. Then, sir, just uh, I have to disagree that that because it 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 made it easier. There was not much. It says here that it is from 1928. There was not much profit in growing cotton in those days. The raising of the crop was easy, but after cotton balls, you know, and, and so there wasn't much money in it. And this book from 1929 it says that it had ceased in the northern states largely because it did not pay, and it was likely to be given up in the South for the same reason because it was too expensive to keep the slaves. But then once they were able to make so much money off the cotton, that's when it expanded. You know that 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 just that's the way I learned it too. That I just wanted to point that out, guys. I don't know. I didn't. I don't want to belabor the point, but I have to stand on well, what I said about that too. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, uh, I, I thank you for bringing. We need to bring as many points in here as we can. It just bothers me that the points that people overlook, and they overlook them intentionally. The people who will discard the truth because it doesn't fit their emotional beliefs. And that's destroying our country. I, 
I think that it was. I mean, you got to think that, that also it was viewed a, a largely, especially in in England, they had looked at it as a moral issue, and they were boycotting all the sugar for a long time to try to to bring attention to that. It's not. It's not like. You know, Simon Legree, like you said, down here in the South, I mean, this this was not a Southern thing. The, the, the times were so much different. We try to view people the way they behaved then by this moral outlook that people have imposed on us by Hollywood, especially, I think, just like Richard pointed out. You know, it's like they just can't – they have demonized certain – okay, Zeke Heil, you know. They have demonized certain groups for a reason. Right. And without a doubt. And yes, sir. very, very quickly, Lincoln's invasion of the southern states was the very definition of treason, which is listed in Article 3, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution, which defines treason as, and I quote, only in levying war upon them or in here adhering to their enemies. Ah, here comes the music. We'll be back on the other side, folks. Please support as RBN. Listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. My name is John, I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, in trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back, uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it, and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee that's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumers' house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few highlights. Extendivite works in keeping my blood pressure in the normal range. I have been using Extendivite for many years. Great product. I use regularly and I rarely get sick. This product has relieved what appeared to be angina pain in my chest and shortness of breath after climbing stairs. I'm quite happy about it. My husband, son, and I have been using this product for a few months now, and we have noticed an improvement in our joints and blood pressure. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 
as part of the Wild Pastures family and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high quality pastures meats and even when they did it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now I'm not talking about the bottom of the barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free range or even cage free terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. everyone to the rebel and the renegades roundtable here on the 14th day of january in the year of 2024 and uh first off let me take care of a little uh, housekeeping here and that is to inform everyone that this is the final week of the annual john stamp miller book drive and the week's book is one nation under israel by Andrew Hurley. So, folks, get your donations in for a chance to win that book directly from John Stamp Miller's library. Now, I want to do it very quickly here. We've got uh, less than a half an hour left. And so, and it looks like we lost uh, Scorpio. But anyway, we'll keep it going. And here is what I would like to do. Ah, he's back again. So what I wanted to point out here is the difference between Marxist history and the truth. Now, let me read you from a Marxist historian, well-respected Marxist historian. Let me read you from their book. Quote, armies of scholars meticulously investigating every aspect 
of Lincoln's life have failed to find a single act of racial bigotry on his part, unquote. From the team of rivals, the political genius of Abraham Lincoln, page 207. Now, let's throw this at you. From the Collected Works of Abraham Lincoln, Volume 3, pages 145 to 146. And here we go. Quote, now this is Lincoln. I will say then that I am not, nor ever have been, in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. That I am not, nor ever have been, in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes, nor of qualifying them to hold any office, nor to intermarry with white people. I, as much as any man, am in favor of the superior position assigned to the white race. Abraham Lincoln was a white supremacist. His own words convict him. But yet, the revisionist historians are trying to make him into some great hero. That's why they put the monument for him on the Potomac. Because he completely brought what was, in essence, the Bolshevik Revolution to America. And we've been communist ever since. We were communist before the USSR. It's easy to figure out. So, you know, it's, you know, uh, I would uh, also recommend for you folks, if you want some truth, written by a black man, forced into glory, Abraham Lincoln's White Dream was written by Leron Bennett Jr. And he said, Steven Spielberg in his movie Lincoln had said that Lincoln was using his political skills to get the 13th Amendment that legally ended slavery through the U.S. House of Representatives in the last months of his life. Now, Leron Bennett says that is a pleasant fiction. It absolutely never happened. It never happened, according to the foremost authority on Lincoln among mainstream Lincoln scholars, Harvard University professor David H. Donald, the recipient of several Pulitzer Prizes for his historical writings, including a biography of Lincoln. So look here. We've got people who have actually won Pulitzer Prizes for their research, but people don't want to believe them, but they will believe the movie. We have been so indoctrinated into emotions that our brains have shut down on so many respects. Uh, your thoughts, Richard? Well, no, I mean, these are all good points uh, each of you gentlemen make on this. I'm not sure what more I could contribute. I mean, I – well – of course, if it were going to be still a um, conglomerate uh, of, with a Confederate Constitution, if it were going to be its own Federalist Southern government, uh, then that wouldn't be any better. Of course, you know, to to be uh, sovereign nations. I mean, that really is where we took the wrong turn with the Constitution. From your research, uh, we see that confirmed. So, I mean, there was more a chance to, st- to, to, to be that way, ultimately, say, stay separate countries, you know, um, and, and just be a, a loose um, affiliation. 
with well, all of our, our and, and so I mean, you know, with the Articles of Confederation, there was still a potential for that. I mean, the way I see it, uh, the the federal government, and and I mean, you say the South wanted to break away. I mean, if ultimately they would have been separate states, that's what I would endorse. If they were going to with a Confederate Constitution, as this gentleman who was texting me was saying, would have been another conglomerate. I mean, I see, I see the federal as just as bad as what they're doing over in Europe with the EU, and it's imperialist. You know, I mean, it's it's in the benefit of the elites. Um, you know, uh, royalty and 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 Jewish power has subverted the countries of Europe uh, centuries ago, uh, particularly England, for that matter. But yeah, I, I don't know. So those, those are my thoughts uh, for now. Uh, I'll kick it over to the other gentleman. All right. Thank you uh, for your input there, Richard. Uh, very cogent. Uh, Stephen, uh, your yeah, thoughts, please, sir. Parallel with, sorry, yeah, so that's a very good parallel with the EU, what they're doing over there. You know, because the, the Confederacy tried to go back to the Articles of Confederation to preserve the spirit of the actual foundation of this uh I don't want nation, okay, the American spirit, the real American spirit to go back to that, what the Constitution, the counter-revolution to that had snuffed out and imposed their imperial dignity on us, and, and, and the government made them all powerful then. It was – they really was, like you said, Federalist against Anti-Federalists. Uh, one book I read called it Constitutionalist against Consolidationalist, but I think the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist thing explains it even better. Well, uh, guys, uh, we mentioned the Corwin Amendment. I think it would be good to actually read the text of the Corwin Amendment, which Lincoln himself wrote. And then he lied about it in his first inaugural address, and I'll cover that. The Corwin Amendment would have prohibited the federal government from ever interfering with slavery. The Corwin Amendment read as follows, and I quote, No amendment shall be made to the Constitution which will authorize or give to Congress the power to abolish or interfere within any state with the domestic institutions thereof, including that of persons held to labor or service by the laws of that state, unquote. Well, it's funny how these people want to shy away from the word slavery because even the people we call founders persons had held to service is how the constitutional convention referred to slaves and domestic institutions referred to slavery lincoln announced to the world that he endorsed the corwin amendment in his first inaugural address and i quote lincoln again I understand a proposed amendment to the Constitution, which amendment, however, I have not seen, has passed Congress. Oh, really? You wrote the darn thing. To the effect that the federal government shall never interfere with the domestic institutions of the states, including that of persons held to service. Holding such a provision to now be implied constitutional law, I have no objection to its being made express and irrevocable. Irrevocable. Pardon me. That is what Lincoln said. People quit dreaming and watching movies and research history. You might learn something and save your country in the process. David? You still with us, well, buddy? Yeah, yes, those yeah, are uh, excellent points, Mike. Um, and again, I would just go back to the name uh, of what the Confederacy chose to call itself. Uh, says a lot, and um, you, you know, the Corwin Amendment uh, 
further reinforces that uh, what they actually had planned and what they wanted. Yeah, it's, you know, guys, I'm sorry, but I really get upset uh, when I watch people and when I see so many people in this country walking around stupid. And they're proud of it, as my grandfather said, so don't mess with them. They don't want to look at history. They don't want to look at facts. And then you get the idiots like that lady in Sacramento. I don't care how many facts you have. You're not changing my mind. That seems to be an epidemic. And I'll tell you something. If the uh, if the wonderful pharmaceutical industry could find out a way to call it a disease, we'd have a vaccine for it. Kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Stephen? You can't fix stupid, but as uh, Wendy often says, that you can medicate it. <laughs> so that, was, that was one of their mottos in Big Pharma. In the, yes, there you go. That, and that's what Aldous Huxley pointed out in Brave New World, too, I guess. Oh, big time. Man, that that one is just absolute. That's that cracked me up. And uh, but uh, yeah, well, we've I think we've uh, jumped all over this subject. I, I just hope that people will take the time to educate themselves instead of believing people who lie to them for money. That is the thing I think that bothers me more than anything else. And we've got uh, you know a little less than fifteen minutes. Uh, Let's kind of uh, jump on what we're going to be doing a couple of weeks from now, uh, Stephen. Uh, give the folks, uh, I know we talked about it a little earlier, but give the folks a little bit of in-depth who's going to be there for this program, uh, what we're actually going to get into, if you would, if that's okay. Yes, uh, we're going to have uh, some survivors from the USS Liberty. I, I have um, Phil Turney from their uh Association, and he is going to try to bring some more folks on board. I don't know who the exact other ones are, but he sent me some information where they had testified before the New Hampshire uh, House, I believe it was, and, and we haven't seen these videos yet, so we're working out exactly the details, but I'm very happy that they, they're going to come on and set the record straight for us. I just, uh, I've been wanting to do this since I first started doing, uh, uh, Hard. Well, not when I saw first, but for a couple of years now, at least, I have really wanted to do this show, sir. Oh, buddy, I, I tell you what, and it is such a such a subject because I think nothing better than the USS Liberty, the incident, shows the American public who runs this country, and it ain't us. Mm-mm. No. And I think that is critical. Uh, Scorpio, your thoughts, buddy? Well, I think it might shed light on uh, our, our supposed greatest ally, our closest ally, Israel. Uh, you know, I think it kind of destroys that notion going back to 1967 uh, because, you know, they had actually hoped, as you said, to sink the ship and kill all aboard and blame it on the Egyptians and force America into uh, this war at a much deeper level. So uh, the Israel, the Israelis are sort of the masters of the false flag. Uh, they've done it more than once. Uh, if you look at the dancing Israelis at 9-11, they certainly had a role in that, too. Well, I think they had a role in the entire run-up to the uh, uh, Civil War. 
I think there's a, a plethora of evidence out there to show their influence there. The bankers, I think we just read the hazard circular. I don't know what else you need. I mean, to yeah, me, it's yeah. pretty obvious. And playing both sides of the war, unfortunately, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, guys, last night I thought it was really great on the program when uh, Karen uh, Quinones from uh, New York brought up uh, with a document which she's sending me is that I didn't know this, and it was just wonderful last night. Uh, a banker had actually given it to her in New York, the actual documented evidence <clears throat> pardon me, that England loaned America the money for the Louisiana Purchase, which we were buying from France. And he gave her that, and he said, ma'am, this is all you need to know about Jewish banking. So here the they England, the Bank of London, the Bank of England was loaning America money to buy the Louisiana purchase from France and they were at war with each other. Why would you loan money to someone so that they could purchase something from the country you're at war with? Did you guys happen to hear that last night and um and if I'll jump to Richard, uh, Richard, what's your thoughts on that? It's just amazing. Um, some of the information you'll pick up behind the uh, official uh, information, you know, re- uh, regarding war in particular and how it's funded. It never well, ceases. Yes, Go yes, ahead, sir. sir. Well, the thing I wanted you to do, Richard, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to uh, bump you there, but what I also wanted you to do was tell our audience about Richard Carey's show, when it comes on, and the official narrative. Tell them about what you're about. Okay, well, I I definitely like a challenge of the official narrative uh, (laughs) on my show. Beyond the official narrative, I like a lot of perspectives, so I try to have a lot of uh, people uh, joining the that includes, well, people I've, I've known from RBN. You know, sometimes they'll even have callers come on uh, on a panel. But uh, certainly try to have a good variety of co-hosts and topics. And I'm on Monday through Friday. Uh, currently, that's central time, RBN being based in Texas, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. central, Monday through Friday. That's beyond the official narrative. And, yeah, I uh, look forward to uh, anyone who hasn't checked it out to tune in and consider giving a call. You know, I, I look forward to hearing from new listeners as well. But certainly I respect uh, everything uh, that the people at RBN, the staff, do to keep this going. And and, and that, that uh, evening slot there uh, in particular, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an honor to be yep. uh, doing my best to contribute to it. Well, folks, uh, tune in to Richard. Richard does a heck of a job. He has a good program, and it is quite informative. And uh, so now let's jump to Scorpio. Scorpio, an RBN host. Uh, Scorpio, tell the folks about your program, what it's about, and what time you come on. Well, sure. My show is the Scorpio International Holding Company, LLC. Uh, I named it that because that's sort of the methodology they use to cover up the real ownership of things and to keep us from understanding that the ownership of the important world assets are in far fewer hands than we are told. 
And the show comes on from uh, every Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific time. That's 4 to 6 p.m. Central. And the second hour, I usually have a guest. The first hour, I sort of cover uh, what's going on and things that I think are important at the moment. I've really been diving into this uh, atrocity happening in Gaza because it has implications that go far beyond just uh, Gaza. I I think it actually touches upon where the whole world is heading. And we're living through actual history right now with this and the secret agendas that are coming becoming revealed as a result of this. And then, uh, you know, uh, uh, like, for example, on this show, I had a, a guy, the hijacker, talking about some esoteric uh, subjects uh, concerning the mud flood, the idea that uh, the timelines we've been told from ancient history aren't quite what uh, we've been uh, uh, told. So I, I do all kinds of different guests, but sometimes I like to jump into the esoteric, and that's what I did this week. So I take calls, too, and... Uh, Hope everyone uh, can tune in and listen. Oh, thanks, Dave. Uh, and uh, I, folks, I highly recommend uh, Scorpio's shows. He does a great job. And now for the Thought Criminal. Tell us about your show, Stephen. Well, that's me. I just commit thought crime, y'all. And y'all are committing one just by listening to us, too. That's Saturday mornings from 8 to 10 Central on RBN, Thought Crime Live. <clears throat> I'm Stephen Whitener, and I have lots of guests, some from RBN, some from beyond RBN, too. And I'm really looking forward to that show we're going to be doing uh, during your your hours uh two weeks uh, from yesterday, too, Mike, about the Liberty. But uh, I have I, I covered a lot of people out there fighting back to January 6th people. The, we got political prisoners, okay? That's what time it is in this country. I point out a lot of time. this is the USSA we're living in. And try to encourage people, too, and talk about health sometimes. And every once in a while, I'll just give my own take on things. But uh, I just i am really glad to be here at RBN, too, and, and proud to be part of this. Thanks for having me, this uh, renegade. I guess I'm a rebel and a renegade here. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so very much. Now, here's what I'm going to do, something a little bit unique here, and we're running out of time. But uh, take uh, be as concise as you can. Richard Carey, Tell the listeners why they need to support RBN. And before you say anything, I'm going to say my thought, and that is you ain't going to hear this anywhere else. This, These kind of shows that these three gentlemen and myself do with others, you're not going to hear it anywhere else, I promise you. So, uh, Richard, tell the folks why you think they should support RBN. Because this is the best concentration of, of people who selflessly uh, support uh, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I mean, uh, it, it's important to have multiple opinions, uh, and and I think the people around here agree, not just their own, uh, but also uh, recognizing that free speech is only uh, valid if it includes speech that offends someone or other out there. If you don't include that, then you know you just have polite uh, perspectives and opinions you're sharing. Yeah. Absolutely, and and a great job there. Uh, David, why should people support RBN? Well, because RBN provides a platform for a wide variety of viewpoints, many of which are verboten, forbidden, highly controversial, and uh, even, um, you know, uh, delves into the esoteric and some very out-there topics that is completely uncensored. 
uh, other than like foul language, there, no topic is off limits to uh, this station, and no one tells the hosts what they can say or what they can't say. And I think that in and of itself is very valuable, uh, n- not to have a, a, a top-down uh, system of uh, hierarchy of, of uh, barking down orders to the so-called employees. Uh, it's it's all about free speech and, and free thinking and free free flow of ideas. And uh, I, I think it's a, a really, having been here a while and getting to know some of the hosts and, and the management, I, I think it's a very sincere operation and a very a very real uh, effort to try to bring the truth to the public. Uh, thanks, Dave. Uh, great, great job there. And uh, Stephen, why do folks need to support RBN? Well, I'll be concise because we ain't got a money tree, and we're unracing, <laughs> the, and we're unerasing the USS Liberty. That's, yes, that's why. And, and one other thing, a thought crime a day helps keep tyranny at bay. So y'all support the lifeblood of free speech, right here. Oh, absolutely, and uh, we do the very best we can to avoid the F word, right? Uh. (laughs) Just kidding, guys. Hey, uh, folks, this has just been absolutely fantastic. Uh, You guys are great to uh, do a program with, and I appreciate all three of you. And here comes the music, folks, so support RBN, and we shall see you next week. Good night. God bless. you say if I told you we have a new tool that will increase production and lower maintenance costs for your meat processing company, and it would pay for itself in just six weeks? When pigs fly! The new Ease-Off Model EZ4 replaces old spring-style carcass droppers and is faster, safer, and more reliable. The Ease-Off lowers or lifts 1,000 pounds to or from your rail automatically using our remote control. Sounds expensive! Can I afford it? Can you afford not to try the Ease-Off? 
It installs fast with just three bolts in place of your current dropper. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue and injuries, speed up your line, eliminate downtime, and increase profit. How can I order my EaseOff? Go to EaseOff.com, E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com, and hurry, because we are offering $200 off on the new Easy 4 for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC. Summersville, Missouri. 417-932-6419. This is RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network.